Jesus said in Matthew 28 verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and international speakers. And here is today's presenter, Pastor Tapiwa Mutsuriwa. As we said in the morning, those of, of you that are joining us, you find us on a journey of trying to explore questions of meaning. Questions of meaning. So these questions have to do with human experience. We're not just going through doctrines for the sake of knowing Bible doctrines. We are talking about things that affect us every day in our daily lives. Pain, death, issues of identity. Who am I as a human being? What is my purpose here? Those kind of things. Questions of belonging. Have you ever yearned to belong? You know, here in Sydney, I read in one place where an old lady was dead in her house for eight years and nobody knew that she was dead. Didn't she belong somewhere? Didn't she have a community? These are questions that are on people's minds, and these are the questions that we are trying to answer. Questions of history, where do I come from? Why are we here? What's my purpose? That's the whole purpose we are here for. Please drag someone's hand and bring them here. Now, the question we are trying to explore this afternoon, I'm not so sure we are trying to answer this question, but we are exploring it. This is the question we, we are battling with this afternoon. So if God is love, why is our world collapsing? Why is there so much evil? We, in the, in the morning, we try to explore the whole question of evil. Where does evil come from? And we, we try to do, uh, to some extent, with some success, we did that in the morning. But now, we are questioning why, if God's love is love, that's where we ended, that God does not tempt man with evil. God does not have a vault of evil that he pours upon man. Now, he, he is too holy, he is too good, as we are going to discover in, to, in this afternoon's presentation. He's too good to use evil. He doesn't even associate himself with evil. Though sometimes people think, um, some time ago, one of our pastors living in the, in the Blue Mountains um, had, you know, the fire thing going on and his house was burned down. And as we were visiting with him to pray with him and encourage him, um, we said, you surely had insurance. And he said, yes, but we're struggling with this clause in the insurance that says if it's an act of God, we don't pay. It's as if when there's all these catastrophes happening, the devil has managed to say after he has caused it, he points his finger at God and says, it's, it's an act of God. Let me say on the onset, the only act of God, my friends, you have to come with me to that hill called Golgotha, and we see Christ hanging on the cross. That was the act of God. That was the act of God. So if God is love, why is there so much evil? That's the question we are trying to grapple with. Can you pray with me? Father in heaven, we are not wise, we are not strong. But that's okay, 
because you are wise and you are strong and you are present. We depend on your strength. We depend on your wisdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. David Hume, sometimes called the great granddaddy of atheism, long before there was Charles Darwin, there was this man called David Hume. David Hume grappled with the question of evil um, vis-a-vis or compared to the fact that God is love. And these are some of the words that he penned. Perhaps what I'm trying to say that is this question is not a new question. Is God he, there is God? Is he willing to prevent evil but is not able? Then he is not powerful. The word important means powerful, all-powerful. Therefore, it means he is not all-powerful. Is he able but is not willing? Then he's, that word malvolent means that he loves to do evil to others, to cause harm to others. Then it means if he is able to prevent evil but does not do it, then it means that this God just enjoys doing evil on people. Is he both able and willing? Then where does evil come from? I believe since David Hume ended in not believing that he did not wait long enough to find the answer to this question. In fact, I believe that he did not interrogate, he did not question his question long enough to find answers. Why is this question important? Let us try, start by justifying that the question is important. It is important, as Mortimer Adler says, he says, because more consequences of life and action follow from the affirmation of God as love or denial than any other basic question. In fact, if your window, if your lenses that you use to view life stem from the fact that God is love, you will act in a certain way. But if you believe that God is all-powerful, but he's, he also uses evil, your, 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 your dealing with other human beings, how you do people, will reflect that thought. Are, are you with me? How you view the world, your worldview, stems from how you answer this question. So it is a pertinent question. It is an important question. Um, I'm not going to spend a lot of time in all these evils that are happening. We spend some time talking about this in the morning, all these, these evils. But the question this morning is, so if God is love, why? I want, to, I want you with me this afternoon to ask or to, to spend some time looking at this question and even, even question the inquirer before we attempt to answer the question. Are you with me? What does the inquirer seek from me? An answer? Okay, I understand that is an answer of this question. But more often, 
is asked by a person who has chosen not to believe in God. A person who is saying, because God is all-powerful and evil happens, therefore God is not there. Secondly, why is it that this question is only leveled or is only asked from the God of heaven, yet there are many worldviews. Have we attempted to ask the same question to other worldviews? There are only five worldviews, as you are going to see. Well, the many branches of five worldviews. What we are going to try and do is to seek answers from different five from the five different worldviews and see how this question is answered by all these different um, people that believe five different things. Is this making sense? Let me put the, the worldviews before you so that you can see them. The religions of the world that are out there can be summarized into these five. So we've got a materialist. When I say a materialist, is a person who believes there's, there's only matter, space, and time, nothing else outside of that. There's no God. There's just only matter. So therefore, he's a materialist. And if you are not a materialist, then you believe that there is a God. Therefore, you are a theist from, you believe God. Atheist, theist, you believe in God. Atheist, you believe there's no God. Hello? Making sense? So, you are some kind, if you're not an atheist, you are some kind of a theist. Some theists believe that God is in the flowers, he's in everything, he's in trees, he's all over the place, uh, like Buddhism. And what this journey we're going on is not a journey of putting down other religions, are you with me? It's just a journey of exploring what others believe. So, these believe that God is in all things, so they are called pantheists. All theists, God is in all other things. But there are also some other theists who say, there is a God, but this God has predetermined how people are going to come out. So, Sandra, maybe God loves you and he's going to pave your pathway, he's predetermined your pathway to only goodness. And John, God has predetermined you that you have to go through pain and all evil shall fall upon you. So, lives are predetermined. They believe in God as a determinist. He predetermines people. Uh, the word that sometimes people use is, pre, is predestination. We pretty much don't have a choice. We are, we are pawns in, the chess, in a chess game that God is playing. Um, he will sell away the pawn, the, the, the pawn whenever he wants and, um, for his own glory. This is some other thieves who believe in God. There's yet another group of people that believe that um, uh, God needs to be appeased. Um, your good works... Hello? The good works that you do, you have to do them to please God. I, my father, was um, a spirit medium in the African tradition. 
So I grew up knowing that if you want the spirits to come and help you out, what you had to do is you had to brew African beer, not even European beer, because the ancestors don't drink European beer. They only drink African beer. You brew the African beer, you pour it on the ground because they're down there. Then you spend the whole time, the whole night dancing. If you don't dance, they won't come. So you have to do something for them to be present. And this thinking sometimes can also find itself in Christianity. It's also there in Islam that if you do bad, God is going to get you. If you do good, God is going to reward you. Sometimes Christians think this way. I listened to two men, two Christians speaking. Um, one had done something to the other. I said, you know, when this person did this to me, I remained quiet. And they've just been involved in an accident. God is getting them for what they did to me. Then, some believe in a God who is good. He's a God who is good in an evil world. Let's explore how these three, these five different views deal with the question of evil. Fair deal. A materialist or an atheist, one of the textbooks that will be used is this one by Charles Darwin, The Origin of Species by means of natural selection. On the preservation of favored races in the struggle for life. What this means is survival of the fittest. When you read people like Richard Dawkins, they say, in all living organisms, there's something called the selfish gene. Ah, did you get that word, selfish? Did we talk about the selfish gene, the selfish thing in the morning? That evil is always equated to selfishness, to self-centeredness. It stems from that. So this is how they answer the question of evil, that sometimes for the survival of a rest, and when they use the word rest, they are not actually talking about skin color here. Uh, they are talking about different species. They use the word rest for different species. Either for the human rest or for whatever species to, to progress in the struggle for life, um, fighting against a small place uh, to outlive harsh conditions. There's this selfish gene that will say, let's stem out this species so that we can outlive it. So that is the selfish gene. So evil is a necessary thing in the survival of a, species, of a species. So there's nothing we can do to evil. It's kind of like this. Imagine you are in a bank. Then all of a sudden, a robber walks into the bank, takes out, I don't know, those guns, 
cocks it and shoots in the, on, the, on the ceiling and he says, everybody down. Then you fall down and you go under the table. As you are under the table, there is the security guard very close to you. And they say, ah, thank God you are here. You are going to save us from this. And then the security guard looks at you and he says, no. I'm only employed to acknowledge that a robbery is going on. I cannot do anything about it. So right now I can tell you there's a robbery going on. I'm doing my job acknowledging that the robber is going on. This is what atheism does. It can only acknowledge that evil is going on, but it cannot do anything about it. That's an alternative. Evil just is in the survival of the races. Remember, races does not mean different colors, it means different kinds of species. Therefore, if we have to kill some people to control population, it's okay. We can do that. We can do that. So it spills into other things. You see how self-centeredness that we spoke from in the morning, how it affects. And this is a choice that we can make. We can use this as a worldview. How then do you answer to the question of morality? Morality is basically doing good by others thinking of other human beings. What basis is there for me to do good by you? If you threaten my existence, I'm going to take you out. That's an alternative. So my question this afternoon, I said, let's interrogate the question. This question can only, cannot only be leveled to the Christian. Let everyone else answer the same question. How do you deal in your own worldview with this question. Let me, so evil is necessary in the perpetuation of life. To a materialist, to a materialist pain and suffering is central and happiness is peripheral. But to a theist, Happiness is central and pain and suffering is peripheral because one day pain and suffering are going to be stemmed out. Tell me that it's making, it's making sense so far. There's an Australian guy, Pastor Andrew, you should read this guy, Roy Williams. He's practically bemoaning that Australia has become a post-God nation, and he titles his book A Post-God Nation. And he is practically speaking to a nation that has gone materialist, and this is his statement. Are you with me this afternoon? The key point is that some knowledge lies within the realm of science, correct? 
We need scientists around. And some does not. Not all knowledge is in the realm of science. Not all experience is in the realm of, in the realm of science. True? Human experience deals with meaning, purpose, pain, and compassion. We have to access this huge other area of human experience through other means. Man is not just flesh and bones. So what the atheist has not done is to explore experience outside of science. A human being is designed to connect with a big other outside of time, matter, and space. When the human being, and we will see this next, next week, next weekend, we'll spend a lot of time as we, as we answer the question, who am I? That a human being is designed to connect with, with this big other. If, if we do not connect, we don't get these answers to the questions of meaning. We, 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 we go around on a Brownian movement. I don't know whether you know what I mean by Brownian. We just go around as, as, as partic air particles bumping onto each other with no purpose, with no meaning. We are not going anywhere, and our, 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 our lives are going in circles. We wake up in the morning, we go to work, we die, and that's it. That's, that's called secularism. There's no purpose. If there's no purpose to human life, if the whole purpose of being born is to die, then why begin to die? Why begin, sorry, why begin to live, sorry? <laughs> Let me say that again. Let me say that again. If the whole purpose of being born is to die, then why begin to live? This is why, my friends, and I say this because here it is holy ground. This is why, as I speak to you, every day in Australia, 12 to 13 young people are taking their lives because there's no purpose to living. 12 to 13 young people are taking their lives. There's no hope. There's no hope in that worldview. Pantheist, how does, he, how does the pantheist answer to the question of evil? Now, pantheism has these two balances, the yin and the yang. And here is how evil and good um, sort of dealt with. Bad energy, evil, and good energy, good, they are necessary, they, they are needed to balance each other out. You get sick because maybe your bad energy is going down. There's too much bad energy as compared to the good energy. You need both of them to balance out, to balance each other out. That's why we need to pin some needles on you so that we can, we can deal with your energy levels. So evil is necessary to balance out the good. So, yet in this, evil is a necessary explanation to the experience of man. Where is hope? And my friends, this afternoon, the question of hope is a big question to the existence of a human being. Put me in a tunnel where there's no light. You practically have killed me. I need 
a light at the end of that tunnel. If you tell me that, no, 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 there's nothing we can do about this evil. It's necessary to balance good. What are you saying to me? You've put me in a dark tunnel. You've put me in a dark tunnel. There's no hope. Let me quickly move on, Pastor Andrew, so that we can catch our time. Um, that's practically what I've been explaining. Then comes the determinist. This is the one who believes in God, but in his belief of God, he says, well, God has actually created evil. There is a Bible text that is used, but it is used out of context. This is how the Bible text reads. It reads this way. It's in Isaiah 45, verse 7. From light, from the light, oh, so I form the light. This is God speaking in Isaiah. The whole context, God says, I form the light and I create darkness. I make peace and I create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. But how I've done it, this is how, the, how it's explained. How I've done it, I've created evil for those that I've chosen, that I've predetermined towards evil. Esau have I hated and Jacob have I loved. So for Esau, I've predetermined him for evil. And for Jacob, I've predetermined him for good. So evil is a creation by God. So the whole aspect of God saying, I don't use evil to tempt men, is thrown out through the window. Well, this text, I don't have time to really deal with it, but this text, really what it means, it is coming from a Jewish Hebrew thought that that which God does not prevent is caused by God. Did, did you get the point? Okay, let me explain it again. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. So did God sink his hand into the chest cavity of Pharaoh and married heart so that he will not make a choice or he will not soften? Or because Pharaoh continued to ignore God, the only agent that softens men's heart is the Holy Spirit. Then God says, well... I'm not going to do it because you have repeatedly rejected me. Therefore, in that sense, that which God did not do, he's responsible for it. Because God gave up on Pharaoh. The only agent on earth that softens human heart is the Holy Spirit. And Pharaoh continuously rejected it. And God says, I'm giving it up to you. Now, in Hebrew thinking, God, had, God has hardened Pharaoh's heart. And that's what this text is talking about. Not that God creates evil. I still don't feel you. Have I lost you? I'm with you. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So the determinist says, while the devil might have brought, an, the, brought in evil, God created good for the elect, and he has allowed evil for those that, pre, pre, that have been predestined to be lost. So we actually don't have a choice. <laughs> then, let me tell you one thing, my friends. This kind of a God I cannot worship. A God who has predetermined others, how, what criteria does he use to say, well, this couple, I'm predetermining you for good, but this one, nah. Uh, uh, I 
How then can he sit in his chair and he says, God is love? How can you say that with a stressed face? He says, oh, you should love one another because he would love knows God because God is love. How could you say that with a straight face when he has chosen others? Are you, I've just created you just to send you to hell. You, yeah, have loved you. How then can you be love? The appeasement. Evil, those who believe God wants to be appeased, evil is God getting back at humans for the wrong they have done. You do wrong, beware little feet where you step. For the father is looking up. Now we have changed that, that song nowadays. When I was growing up, it's, now we say he's looking down in love. Originally, when I was growing up, it says he's looking down from above. So be careful. If you sidestep, God is going to squash you. He's going to get you. So God was used as, what do you call that, that, um, that thing that is used to... to to, to sketch little children. Yeah, that one. Yes, God was used as a boogeyman. Be careful. Don't steal the cookies on the cookies jar because God is going to get you. Oh, you bring your tithes. Again, that is, that is taken out of context. Not out of a relationship with God, but because if you don't, God is going to get you going to get you. So evil is God getting back at human beings for the wrong they have done. My friends, let me tell you, if that's how God dealt with men, none of us would be standing right here, right now. The God, oh, I'm going ahead of myself, Pastor. I'm, I'm, already, I'm already getting excited about the God that we worship. He's not like that. Now here's a text that these people would use. It's taken from Job chapter 4 and the verses 7 to 8. Consider now who being innocent has ever perished. Where were the upright ever destroyed? As I have observed those who plow evil, those who sow trouble will reap it. This person has just gone into a passage that is put in the Bible descriptively, not prescriptively. It is describing a friend of Job who is saying a whole lot of rubbish to Job. In fact, God in chapter 42, he says, Job, I'm angry with your friends for they have not spoken well about me. So this does not actually represent, God was angry for this person to represent himself this way. But there's a worldview that I would like to share with you in a few minutes. It's a worldview that says we have a God that is good. My friends, let me share with you. If I don't get time, let me just share this right now. It's not on the script. When man has done evil, when Adam and Eve have sinned, it is not men who came seeking for God. It's not men who try to do good things to appease God. It is God who went out to search for men. 
It is God who calls out, Adam, where are you? Even though he knew where he was, he wanted him to respond. In fact, the difference between the Christian God and every other false God is that the Christian God is the one who searches for his children. In other religions, the one that I was born in, we search after our God. We try to find him. We do things so that he can come to us. But the Christian God, he does not. Even when we respond to him, that good impulse to respond to him, it is birthed out of the act of the Holy Spirit. It is him who creates within us both to will, to will, to want him, and to do. Every good impulse comes from him. He is a good God. Evil happens. How does it happen? Here it is. Here it is. The Bible says he is love. We have seen that the devil is real. The Bible says, for you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things that he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. Evil happens because we have continuously chosen while God stands there and says, choose me and have good. From day one in the Garden of Eden, we have continuously chosen evil. He has put before us good and evil, and continuously we continue. Is the question, this question is not with God, it's with men. He is asking the same question. Why do you continue to suffer evil while I'm calling you to goodness? Bible goes on to say about the devil. He has always hated the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he's a liar and the father of all lies. He's a big D. Behind all the evil, it's called the devil, and he's real. <laughs> the question then follows, but didn't God create dev the devil? Can you picture this? God could have just zapped the devil and get rid of him. But picture this. Two angels are talking in heaven. Right? Hey, you know that fellow, that old fellow called, called Lucifer? You know, he, he questioned God. Do you know what happened to him? And then the other ages, I don't even want to get into that conversation. A lightning bolt might come down on us and zap us like he was zapped. Do you know what is happening with these angels? They're living in there is no fear in love. That would be against the very nature of God. The fact that God is love, he has to give a choice. Can you imagine your wife saying to you, John, do you know why I'm with you? There were no other men. I had no choice. <laughs> now I'm not trying to try start a controversy in your home. <laughs> God says, I loved you so much that I had to give you a choice. This is why God has not made us into zombies and computers that he controls. He has wanted us to worship him out of free will. We are free to choose, but we are not free from the consequences of our choices. 
we are in this trouble because we have continuously chosen evil. In fact, we have voted for the government of the devil. And when the government of the devil rules the day, three times Jesus says in the book of John, when he comes, he says, the prince of this world. Do you remember that day when the angels of heaven were coming before God and the devil showed up and God asked, and you? If you really read it in the original language, the English loses the sense there. Um, I speak a few languages, five African languages in English, and I wish to learn Spanish. Um, I know what it means to think of a thought in one language and translate it into another. Sometimes that, that, that thought is lost. If you say in my language, your head, that's a big insult. People can fight for saying your head. Now, it's not making sense to you, right? What? Your head? And you fight over that? Because the translation has lost the meaning. So, same with that text. When the devil says, I've come from walking up and about, what the devil was doing was literally lifting up his feet, fist into the face of God and saying, what can you do to me? That earth that you created, it's mine now. I'm walking up the breadth and width of that. I do what I want there. Why? Because we had chosen the government of the devil, not the government of God. Why is there so much evil? We have chosen a government that is like that. And God is standing and is saying, in fact, God has to break into that government through, he has to be born like a human being and come into this government and, and begins to steal away his children one by one and call them out, one by one, come out of this evil, come out of here, my people, come out of here, my people. That, the evil that is happening, it's not about God, it's about the choices. Just read the news, just watch the tabloids. We are choosing every day, we're choosing we are voting for evil every day. We have to vote. I mean, literally, we have to vote for evil. Every day. It's not about God. He has just given up, given us to our whims, because we continuously choose. You know, one of the purposes of this, of this program is for you and I to make a choice whose government can rule. While the devil may continue for a short while to rule this world, it's coming to an end very soon. But you and I can choose in our lives, like Joshua would say, as for me and my house, who serve the Lord? Who serve the Lord? Right there, we begin to have purpose. I don't know, guys, if you can find a song that is fitting, because I'm going to ask you in a short while to come and sing a song. There are alternatives of worldviews. The alternative I've chosen, and I don't know whether I've done a good job of, of selling, but the alternative I've chosen is of a good God. Right from the Garden of Eden, the narrative is shown that God had, a put, had put a, a polling station. Have you ever read Genesis chapter 2? I'm having to, to escape my, 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 my thing because I need to, to, to summarize it. Um, we have been sitting for too long and we need to finish. So I've, I've left my script now. In Genesis chapter 2, 
Let me read it with you, and then we can bring it to a close. Um, I'm hoping, gentlemen, that God is going to give you a song that is fitting. Uh, I know that musicians that are preachers will know what I'm talking about. In Genesis chapter 2, God literally says this, and we're going to explore this. We're going to explore this next week. Oh, next, next weekend we're going to have fun. I'm going to have fun. If you were planning to be elsewhere, please come here. We, we, we will love... Um, in fact, second week is one of my favorite weeks. Um, I know I said the best, in, one of my best presentations was this afternoon. It keeps getting better. <laughs> Pastor Andrew, next week. Let me read from verse 16. If you are there, please say amen. Um, Genesis chapter 2 and the verse is 16. And then the Lord God commanded men, saying... Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat, you shall surely die. And the Lord God said, oh, okay, let me, let me stop right there on verse 16. It was called the knowledge, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Because originally what men knew was all good. He did not know the evil. So God had intended for men to have good. In fact, the earlier text says that when God planted the garden, he said he planted the, um, a garden in the east. And he said, you see all these tree, fruit trees, they were desirable to the eye. They were created for men's pleasure. Did you know that God intended pleasure for men? And this is how he did it. He created a million fruit trees, and he said, these are yours for pleasure. But don't touch one. Men had a million choices before he comes to this tree. God made it impossible. He could have done it this way. I've only created one tree for your pleasure. And these million trees don't touch. Then, by... by by probability, the fall of men would have skyrocketed. But God made it so impossible for men to sin that you've got so much to enjoy, so much pleasure. The P word pleasure is not a bad word because it is found before Genesis chapter 3. All the devil did when he comes into Genesis chapter 3, he says, look at this tree, it is good for pleasure. It's pleasant to the eye. So what the devil did is that he, he exchanged that which is called pleasure. Now, these days, that which is called pleasure is not what God intended for us. God intended happiness. We are hardwired for joy and happiness. Oh, you're not here with me. God wants us to be happy. That's why I have trouble with Christians that have fallen countenances and, and they just walk Christians were created, they are created to show the radiance and the beaming of joy, of the joy of salvation. We have been created to be happy people, to be nice people. Christians should be nice. It's not always true. It's not always true. But Christians are created to be nice people. Just to be nice to each other, just, just, just to 
to think of another, hey, I was thinking about you today, how are you doing? I don't have any conversation, I don't have any reason why I'm calling, I just wanted to know, Sandra, how you're doing. That's the purpose. Just do that and you find your life so swimming in joy and happiness. When you think of others, the problem we slump into, into and I, I know that it's not, it's not, it's not I, I need to be careful here, but when we think about ourselves too much and not about others, stress and depression falls in. So God had intended us for good and he wants to bring us out of this dark and gloomy world, out of this evil world. He's going to create a new world and he's calling you into it. It is a life full of purpose, full of meaning. He says, I've got good plans for you, not to cause you harm, but to give you an expected end. I know the thoughts that I have for you. God is saying literally, I think good about you every day. I want to give you, just try him out, try him out. That's what he wants to do for you. As for evil, that's not him. That's not for him. Well, is, is going back to the question of David Hume, is he all powerful? Yes, he's all powerful. Can he stamp out, stamp out evil? Yes, he can. But you have forgotten something else, David Hume. He is love. Love gives a choice. And we have chosen evil. And soon, he's going to bring it to an end. But before he does that, because when he's going to step out evil, the earth and all its elements have to be wiped clean. And everything that is in it. So God looks at his creation, the creation of his work, of his hands, and he says, look at my, the people that I've created in my image. I don't want them to perish. He is not slack concerning his promises, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish. He does not delight in the death of a sinner. That's why he has to hold off stamping out evil, because perhaps he might, stamp, he might steal out another one. He might yank out another one into the kingdom. Yet another one into the kingdom. You remember Desmond Doss? Give me one more, Lord. Give me one more. This is the cry of Jesus. Every day, every day, the heart of Jesus Paul said, with, give me one more, Lord. And these kind of programs, it's Jesus saying, give me one more, Lord. Give me one more. Give me one more before we stamp out evil. This message was made available by Hoxton Park Seventh-day Adventist Church. For more resources like this, visit their Facebook page, Hoxton Park SDA Church. That is Hoxton, H-O-X-T-O-N, Park SDA Church. Casey Butler and I'm here today to share with you some personal experiences that I've had with God. Have you ever heard of stories where people who have not grown up in a Christian environment 
come to the point in their life where they question, is God real? Is he out there? Does he care about me personally? I've heard a number of stories like that. People just get to the point where they feel a void in their life and they long for for something more. They are convinced there must be something greater and so they they question is God real and they start seeking after God. And many of them find him. I've also heard of a number of stories too where people who have grown up in a Christian environment where they know all about God, they've learned so much as of in their, their childhood stories about Jesus and, and many different experiences, they also come to the point where they question, is God real? Does he care about me personally? I was one of those people. I grew up in a, a Christian environment and um, went to church every week for as long as I can remember. And I studied the Bible every day and prayed and did all of those devotional kind of things and yet I came to the point in my life where I asked that very question is God real does he care about me personally I wanted an experience that wasn't just head knowledge because I've grown up understanding and knowing so much about God and yet it just seemed like something was missing in my heart I just felt something was was not right. I, I wanted to know that God was real, that his love for me was 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 personal and, and went right to my heart. And I didn't have that. So I prayed. I began praying to God for a deeper experience. I, I prayed that he would that he would show me Jesus, that he would give me an appreciation of his love for me. And he answered my prayer in some interesting ways one of the most significant situations that happened to me was I was unexpectedly I guess sort of thrown into a difficult circumstance and I couldn't control it I had nothing that I could do in the situation to control it except for pray and so immediately I began praying just in my head, in my thoughts, just asking God for very specific things to help me in that particular situation. And what was astonishing to me was right before my very eyes, God answered every detail of the prayer that I prayed in my mind. I hadn't spoken it out loud or anything. And I was just blown away. In fact, I, I pondered that God had answered every detail like that right before my eyes, right in that instant of need for months. It just got right to my, my heart that who am I that God would even recognize every thought and go about answering it. And I knew that in order for him to answer those, the things that I'd asked for, he had to send angels from heaven um, and he had to just work in the circumstances I was in in a powerful way to be able to accomplish what I'd asked for just in the spur of the moment and in my need. So I, I just for months was thinking, why me, Lord? <laughs> why did you do that for me? Like, yeah, that just, that really did something in me. But there was more that God did in my life. Like I, that was one experience. But during this time where I was, I was seeking to know if God's real, 
I had some other experiences as well. And one of them was I was out in the garden, um, actually in uh, the orchard that is at our home, and I was pondering Christ's sacrifice for me. And I was really struggling to appreciate it. I could, like I knew it all in theory, but and I was thinking about it, but it just didn't seem like it. I appreciated it in my heart and I was trying hard to appreciate it. I was praying to God, wanting to, to understand what he, you know, what he'd done for me and, and have it mean something deeper. And as I walked, I was walking back up to the house and I came across just in the particular path that I went, at my feet was a red and black feather. And as soon as I saw it, I just I just picked it up quickly and I was just amazed, immediately amazed because this feather was the tail feather of a glossy black cockatoo. It's a cockatoo that we have here in New South Wales uh, in Australia and it um, it's a sort of a threatened species. So to be able to find a feather from this this bird that was you know all black with a, a patch of red in it was just like so rare and um i i'm a bit of a bird watcher i like to see wild birds native birds and um, identify them and keep a list a record of all the different species that i've seen so i knew as soon as i saw this feather that it was something special and as soon as i saw it i it just it touched me i thought wow because in light of what I had just been thinking about, I had been thinking about Christ's sacrifice for me. And here, this feather, it was, you know, black with red. And to me, it was saying, God was saying to me, my my blood, the blood of my sacrifice, symbolized by the red color of the feather, was on top of the black on the feather, which is like Christ's blood covers my blackness, the blackness of my sin and, and the evil in my heart. And that just the fact that God used the feather and that showed me that he knew my interests, he knew my passions, he knew what I loved and enjoyed about nature and life. The fact that he used that at that moment, that got deep in my heart too. And I realized that, wow, God knows me. He cares for me. He knows my struggles. He knows how I'm seeking him and what I'm wanting to know about him and how and how I'm wanting to know he is real so God responded um, in that way because when I was walking back up to the house I could have walked like two meters across from the actual direction that I took and I probably would have missed the feather altogether but the fact that I happened to walk directly in the path of where that feather was it was just amazing to me so that was another experience that oh, I pondered and, and treasured for a while because it, it really said something to me spiritually about God. And, you know, as I've had experiences like this and God has answered my prayers, He has helped me know that He is real, He has worked in real ways in my life that's just an experience that's meaningful between me and God, I have realized and began to appreciate deep in my heart that God is real and that he cares about me personally. 
And since I've had those experiences, my walk with God has been filled with a lot more peace because I've had an experience that was not just all head knowledge, it's gone right to my heart. And this has given me a lot more confidence in God. And it's interesting, you know, there there are Bible writers also who've had similar experiences like this where they just realize how much God knows them and how real he is. And I want to read from Psalm 139 because this expresses this thought. This is a Psalm of David. And he says this, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsitting and my uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down, and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before, and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain unto it. Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. So here David is expressing this very thing that God, he knows all about him, what he's doing, where he is, and he cannot flee from God's presence. And this just shows how much God knows and cares for us individually, personally. He knows where we are. And I pray that wherever you are today, wherever you are in your connection with God, you may be seeking for a deeper experience with God. You may be seeking to know that he is real in your life. You may have grown up knowing God. You may have grown up not knowing anything about God, but you may be still in that position of wondering, is God real? So I am here to say that I have found in my life God is real. And I know that when we seek him with all our heart, we will find him and he will make himself known to us. So it is my prayer for you today that God will work in your life and that you will know that he is real and that he loves you and cares for you personally. God bless you. This program has been brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio.